Good morning, church. Um, our apps are down. I just want to make an announcement. So if you want uh, note-taking material, our ushers have paperwork to be able to take notes. So we apologize for that, but uh, sometimes that happens. By the way, as you're looking for your pens and your Bibles, I just want to just share again, super grateful for the opportunity to be able to preach and bring God's Word to our particular church family. It's a privilege. It's a privilege of a lifetime, and just want to just keep reminding us of that fact. So thank you. The title of the sermon is titled Healthy Exiles. Healthy Exiles. And I want this phrase to be ringing in our minds and our hearts that we are not home yet. We are not home yet. This is a healthy mantra, perhaps, that you would like to remind yourselves that we are not home yet. In Jeremiah 29, Israel is sent to Babylon. They've been judged as being unfaithful, being sinful. So God says in Jeremiah 29, I have exiled you. This was not Nebuchadnezzar. This was God's hand moving to move a group of people into Babylon. And notice, the people that were exiled, these were the kings, the royal court, the queen, the craftsmen, all the gifted people were moved out to Babylon. And they were exiled under a pagan nation, a godless nation. They were forced to live under a godless rulers, godless with godless values, godless customs, and they're forced to be surrounded with many false gods. I mean, this was a godless society. Think about how difficult that must have been like. I mean, if we're there with them, we might have been thinking or saying to ourselves, this is not how I grew up. I not imagine life to be like this. How can I ever raise kids in this type of environment? There's much to be learned for Jeremiah 29. And, and today, we're not home yet either. Perhaps this is how you feel right now. How can I, as perhaps you're thinking about starting a family, how could I ever raise children under these conditions? Well, God says, get married, have children, and give your children off into marriage and, ha- and encourage them to have children. Right? This is what God says to the Israelites. And living in the United States of America, I love living here. Who doesn't love living here? Although it's not a perfect nation, I love being a U.S. citizen. I'm, I see that as an incredible grace upon my life, and I hope you feel the same way. I, at the same time, we know things aren't perfect. And living in the United States it may have been misleading to us in this way. We've been given 200 years of covering where our founding fathers established the nations under Judeo-Christian values. I'm not saying they're a Christian. But that they were able to glean some truth out of the scriptures and to uphold certain Judeo-Christian values. But it was always a secular state. Let's not think that we're, we were ruled by God. And it's becoming more and more clear to us that it is a secular state. And in many ways, it's rapidly becoming unrecognizable. I mean, your grandparents, if they were alive, they'd be thinking, what is going on here? And this is what's happened here. And it is difficult. I think it's important to acknowledge that it is difficult. God does acknowledge to the Israelites, it is difficult. This is not what you planned for. But this is what's good for you. It is difficult. Brothers and sisters, I get it. When you turn on the news, you you perhaps feel a certain jolt in your stomach. 
As you go to the Starbucks and you see two mothers with a child, you may be thinking, oh, what's going on there, right? This is unnatural. And I, I think it's important for, for us to acknowledge that it is difficult. And as godlessness increases and we depart further and further from Judeo-Christian values, it's going to feel more uncomfortable, right? And we understand what this is talking about, what the, what the, what the Lord is encouraging us about. And we're going to feel more and more like aliens. And actually, although it's hard, and actually as none of us will prescribe this, I actually think this is a healthy thing for us to feel more like aliens, feel more like exiles, and to remind ourselves that we're not home yet. This is a good work that the Lord is doing. And Paul gives us instructions at a Titus chapter 3. We have only two more sermons in this Titus series. It's gone by fairly quickly for me. And Titus chapter 3, 1 through 8 is what we're covering today. So if you have your Bibles, please open up Titus chapter 3, 1 through 8. A little bit of background. Christ tells us how to live as exiles in this little portion here. And this is a healthy mindset to have, is that we're not home yet. We're in a temporary stop. We, We are like exiles, pilgrims, sojourners, travelers on our way home. So if you have your Bibles, let's rise, and maybe your phones even. Turn to Titus chapter 3. I'll be reading out the Legacy Standard Bible. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, demonstrating all gentleness to all men. For we ourselves also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be intent to lead in good works. These things are good and profitable for all men. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. Pray that your spirit would empower the preaching of your word. I pray, Father, your spirit would give us ears to hear, Lord, so that we learn more about what's on your heart. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, guys. Three points to help us follow, since particularly where the app is down, three points I'll give you as kind of landmarks, road uh, road signs on our journey this morning. Healthy exiles remember to be, number one, honorable citizens. Honorable citizens. Healthy exiles remember to be, number two, humble citizens. Honorable citizens, humble citizens. Third and finally, our last stop, healthy exiles remember to be honorable citizens, humble citizens, heavenly-minded citizens. Heavenly-minded citizens. Let's get to point number one here. Healthy exiles remember to be 
honorable citizens. We're not home yet. But as Jeremiah 29 has stated clearly, as Pastor Victor talked about clearly, we're to get settled in. We're not home, but we get settled in. It takes time to build a home. It takes time to garden and to enjoy the fruits. It takes time to have children, to raise children, and to be able to sit, uh, marry off our children and to see grandchildren. This takes time. God said that they'd be there for 70 years, a, a whole lifetime. Many of the Israelites will not even make it back to Israel, the promised land. But God says, where I have planted you is where you to live. God is the one who exiled Israel. God is the one who has planted us at such a time as this, church. And so, how are we to be honorable citizens? Well, let's turn to God's word at Titus Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them, and this is the role of the elder, right? Remind them, because all of us are prone to forget. Remind the church. Paul writes, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. There's no qualifications here, church, you notice. It doesn't say be subject as long as they're democratic. Whether they're democratic communist, a dictatorship, a monarchy, Paul says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. Remember Pastor Jeremy's sermon out of 1 Peter 2? He talked about how they were to, the Christians were to be subject to Caesar Nero, Emperor Nero, who was the worst of the worst, persecuting and killing Christians for sport and for entertainment. I mean, this is a type of character God was calling the Christians in Rome to submit to. And the Bible says in this in our book, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy glens. Imagine what the politicians or leaders must have been like during this time. If you're concerned about ours, well, imagine Eve, always liars, evil beasts, lazy glens. It must have been difficult These, in terms of these rulers. And the Cretans were known as insurrectionists. They were known to be rebellious. And this was a, a value for the Cretans. So for the church not to submit, it would have been natural. Well, the Lord says for the Cretan churches, even the Evergreen Baptist Church, to submit to our ruling authorities, to be honorable citizens. I mean, storming the castle or storming the Capitol building in the name of God is not the right idea. Okay, carrying a cross, storming the Capitol building, that is not a good look. That is not the right idea. Rather, we should be praying for our leaders, as Pastor Victor did during our time of intercession. We should be praying for them. This is not an easy job. Any position of leadership is a costly one. It's an expensive one. This is not easy. Oftentimes, it's easy to criticize, yet once you put it in the seat of leadership, you begin to understand more. I I have a question here. I have a question for everyone. Everybody think about this. And keep in mind, I grew up under submission. I knew how to obey my dad, not perfectly. I knew how to submit to my coaches. This is, I understand order. Submission is very natural for me. But is there ever a time, church, when we should not submit to our rulers and our authorities? Is there ever a time where we wouldn't? 
Well, learning from the most famous Israeli exiles, I mean, out out of the book of Daniel, we learned that Daniel's friends did not bow down to the golden image. And we applaud them. We understand why. Out of Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's told he's not to pray to God. He opens up the windows as he normally does and prays to God. Obviously, there's times to resist and not to submit. There are limits to our submission. We must obey God rather than man. Clearly, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was thinking this. We need to honor God rather than man. Jesus does say this. He does say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. To God, what is God? We are to submit to Caesar. We are to submit to our government. We are to give to God what is God. So how do we know when it's time to go against an edict? This is very important now that we understand this so we could be unified as a church and also as you lead your families. This is very important. What what helpful concept I came across as I was thinking and praying and how can I help the church and not just during this sermon, but this is something I've been thinking about for the last three years or so, particularly since COVID season. I came across a concept called sphere of sovereignty. And a Dutch theologian and statesman, Abraham Kuyper, write that down, Abraham Kuyper, you could Google this and learn more about sphere of sovereignty, over a hundred years ago, made a helpful application. He was a theologian and a statesman. This he combined those two knowledges to knowledge to be able to apply these principles for us. Living in a secular world, we need to identify certain spheres of sovereignty. He, he identified three clear ones. There's others. He identified the church, the state, Caesar, the government, and the home. The church the state, and the home. And each sphere sphere has its own authority and purpose. All right, Think of each sphere as balls, and each ball has a given authority, under God, of course, and a purpose designed by God. So let's look at the state, first of all. What is the purpose? Or what is this? Let's, let's talk about the authority first, under God. The state is led by Caesar or governors or kings or earthly rulers. For us, it's our presidents, governors, mayors, other people. Praise God. And what is the purpose? Out of Romans 13, God provides common grace to all people groups. What governments are called to do out of Romans 13 says to maintain order, to punish evildoers and to promote good. Other, in other words, meaning when you walk down the street, you shouldn't be worried, overly worried. I know sometimes we worry, overly worried about getting killed or kidnapped. I mean, there's, there's some kind of protective element there. That's what governments are designed to do, to maintain order, no matter what type of government it is. Number two, what is the home? Who is in authority of the home? Under God, of course, it's the husband or, and the father. Men were called to lead our homes. And what is the purpose? To disciple the family to love Christ. Right? This is the, to protect, to provide, to pastor our homes. This is the role of the home and the role of the authority over the home, which is husbands and fathers. And number three, the church. 
Christ is the head of the church forever and ever. Amen. But Christ has appointed elders under each, over each local church who are ruled by the Bible to care for the church. And what is the purpose? To disciple the body into holiness. To disciple the church. Not individually, but corporately. And of course, there's individual interactions. The elders need to do what's in the best spiritual interest of the church. Okay, so you got that. So you got who's in authority and what is the purpose? And the, each sphere does not have the authority to infringe upon each other. Spheres of sovereignty. In other words, I'll give you some examples here. The church, the elders are not, we do not have the authority to tell you how to lead your homes and your businesses. We're not going to get into your business like that. You need to live like this. That's not our authority. Our authority is to preach the Bible, teach the Bible, and encourage you and exhort you to obey the Bible and apply these truths to your homes and to your businesses. Okay, so there's a limit in the church. But the state also cannot tell. The sphere of the state cannot enter into your homes either. Homeschooling families, what if the state says you need to teach your children in science class and teach your children about LGBTQ values and uh, fluidity and gender, what would you do? Of course you wouldn't obey that. You would be like, you look at that paper or email, just set it aside. Of course you're not going to obey that edict. Something like that could be coming down the road. Just a little heads up perhaps. The state cannot tell the church what to preach. You cannot preach against sin because that's hate speech. We must obey God rather than man. They try to censor Peter as well. The state cannot tell the church not to gather. Hebrews 10 says to gather the church. The state cannot tell the church not to sing. The Lord says to sing unto the Lord. So there are limits. Hopefully you're getting the idea of what I'm talking about here. However, with these limits and these these convictions, and as we would not obey certain edicts, we also must be willing to suffer the consequences as well. This is not one of these things where we just, okay, that's great. There are consequences. The, the, the government and the church historically have been at odds. We have been able to practice freedom, and this is what a wonderful thing, but that's not a forever thing. There have always been moments of consequences. Daniel's friends were thrown into the fiery furnace. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. There are consequences. I think of my classmate in seminary, Tim Stevens. Tim Stevens is a godly man and he lives in Calgary, Alberta and he he pastors Fairview Baptist Church in Alberta, Canada. And during COVID, uh, the Canadian government said you couldn't gather. At some point, he realized, after a season of not gathering in person, he realized, wait a minute, what's going on here? And he realized this isn't quite what the government has portrayed it to be. He said, let's gather. Tim Stevens, my flesh and blood t- uh, classmate that I know, who critiqued my sermons, went to prison twice. Arrested in front of his home. 
The wife holding his children, their children, children are crying as he's taken away as a criminal. Elders, if you're thinking about being elders, provide the spiritual leadership of the church. And it's expensive. This is not a road where for the faint-hearted. To be a pastor, to be an elder, you have to have a level of conviction that leads to uh, resiliency, perseverance. To be able to tell the church we obey God rather than man and to accept the consequences. I believe during COVID, God was discipling churches around the world on, on this issue. Because all of us were wrestling with this and we we're searching the scriptures and trying to apply these scriptures. I think in America, we kind of got lulled to sleep in terms of since government has been so benign for so many years, for generations, we think, okay, this is what we do. And it's certainly our natural instinct it should be to submit. But we need to test everything by the word of God. Tim says this, our actions are born out of theological commitments to the Lordship of Christ. And he instructed the church as revealed, and in his, through his instructions to the church as revealed in scripture. This is the reason why we be, began gathering and will continue to gather. The consequences may be severe. But we stand before Christ rather than bend before consequences. This is a statement by Tim. So there is clearly a time. And and I believe God is preparing us to develop spiritual grit, spiritual toughness, spiritual perseverance. Not in the fleshly sense. It's not what we want. We want to be spiritually gritty where we able to look into the face of God and say, I'd rather deny man than you because I am going to see you someday. This is different from how you grew up. This is different. And maybe you're so young that you can't tell the difference. But for us older people, we could tell a big difference. And it's going to get darker perhaps. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the peace, as uh, Pastor Victor talked about, Sister Haley read. Seek the peace. Let's go turn back to Titus chapter 3, verse 1. To be ready for every good work. That's what it means to seek the peace. To do good works. To slander no one. To be peaceable. Consider it demonstrating all gentleness to all men. Or this is talking about what our attitude should be like towards believers and non-believers. We're interested in the well-being of everybody. And think about it. It, it was a difficult thing for the Cretan churches because they were highlighted with immorality, debauchery, homosexuality, corruption, idolatry, crazy thinking. This is what they were dealing with. And I think more and more we're able to relate to the Cretans. So do you find yourself disgusted or resentful as Pastor Victor talked about? Do you feel a level of resentment towards non-believers and sinners and those who promote godless ideas? Do you feel like a separatist where you want to separate, right? Retreat into our Christian hole and just stay there. Well, we're called to engage and to pursue. That's what we're called to do. 
As I was preparing the sermon, a memory came to mind about this, where, where Paul's going to take us next at, at a verse 3. I remember during the NFL season, it got hard. Injuries are racking up. We might have lost a few games. People may not have been playing the position that they wanted to, or they've been playing less. Maybe the media wasn't portraying them the way they wanted to. And people, the players need a little bit of encouragement. And that's what the coaches did. We, we, one of the things that we would remind them of is this. Remember where you came from. Remember, some of you all grew up in the hood. Remember, you guys, some of you came from nothing. Remember, you would play the game for free in the alley or in the, in the abandoned lot. And now, look at you. The whole world is watching you. You get to play and live out your dream. You're getting paid well? Are you kidding me? Sure, it's hard. But remember where you came from, gentlemen. What we would remind them of. And we all need reminders. And this is exactly what Paul does for us and the Corinthian churches in verse 3. In verse 3, he reminds them that healthy Exiles remember to be humble citizens. Humble citizens. Verse 3 says this, For we ourselves also once were foolish. We need reminders of that. We were once like the non-believing world. Disobedient. We were always rebellious. Continuously rebellious against God and man. Deceived. We, we didn't have a right mind to think. We're under Satan's spell, the deceiver of the world. We used to think and believe the things that Satan teaches. We're enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. We were mastered by our lusts and our pleasures. We had no choice but to obey. Oftentimes, these words lusts and various pleasures talked about sexual things. Spending our life in malice and envy, despicable or hated and hating one another, we spent our lives being at odds with one another, being malicious towards one another, spreading slander about one another, uh, being jealously envious of what another person has, being hated and hating others. That's how we used to be. That's how we used to be. I, I believe God is reminding us that we were once a part of the world. Certainly Paul is reminding the Cretans of this. We were once a part of the world. We were once spiritually dead. We had no choice but to act that way. We had no choice. This is how we were living because that was our nature. Therefore, Paul was saying, remember those days. Remember where you came from, Cretan church. Remember where you came from, Evergreen Baptist church. Therefore, be humble citizens. Be humble. Remember, Daniel, going back to Daniel, the the most famous exile perhaps, of of the Israelites. In Daniel chapter 4, you see his heart towards Nebuchadnezzar, a godless king. I mean, can you imagine living under that type of reign? Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in that dream, there was a large tree that represented Nebuchadnezzar's life. And towards the end of that dream, that tree is cut down in a metal casing is placed on top of the stump to never grow back again. Nebuchadnezzar's bothered and say, what? what's going on here? He goes, Daniel's right there. Daniel, there's no one quite like you because the spirit, a spirit of the gods lives in you. He recognized something different in Daniel. 
And Daniel could have been licking his chops saying, this is judgment on you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to have your nation taken away from you. You're going to be judged because you're arrogant and boastful and proud and you think you're God. That wasn't Daniel's response. Daniel's response, perhaps he remembers reasoning, the reasons why they were in Babylon. Because Israel as a nation was sinful against God. And this was a judgment that he was going under as well. He remembered where he came from. And he goes, if it only weren't so, king, I don't want to tell you this news. I don't want to tell you this is going to be judgment on you, but this is what's going to happen, king. He shows his love and affection for this godless ruler. I think in large part because Daniel remembered where he came from. So as we apply this, the Lord says, you're in the world, but not to be a part of the world. In the world, but not to be a part of the world. Church, the world is not the enemy. We've said this before, right? The church, church, the world is the mission field. The world is not the enemy. The world is the mission field. Therefore, let's not be surprised when non-believers act and speak like non-believers. They're supposed to act that way. We were all once this way too. We were all once this way too. Be humble. Therefore, be humble citizens. Visitors, if you're here exploring Christianity, we're grateful that you're here. Maybe a friend brought you here. Maybe a classmate brought you here. Maybe your neighbor, a co-worker invited you here. What am I talking about when I say spiritual death, right? You heard me say that. What, what do you mean? I, I'm alive and... You know, and we're all alive, but if you, an, an unsaved person is considered a spiritually dead. So let me teach you what the world teaches, visitors. The world teaches hu- a humanistic approach to explaining man. The world says that man is born good, but it's the environment that makes man bad. But the Bible teaches the opposite about the human condition. The Bible says we're all born into sin. We're all born sinners. This is beyond ourselves. And the reason why the environment is bad is because of sin. And there's nothing we can do on our own to fix or remedy that problem. Because it's in our nature. In other words, we're born into an ocean of sin. We're just born into the Pacific Ocean of sin dead and floating spiritually and there's sinking to the bottom of the ocean to be judged someday by God. And this is really bad news, visitors. If you're thinking, wow, what is that? That's what the Bible teaches. But the good news is the Bible teaches as verse 5, but God saved us. But God saved us. Let's let's go to a final point here, church. Healthy exiles remember to be heavenly-minded citizens. Heavenly-minded citizens. I'm going to read uh, verse 4 and 5. But when the kindness and affection of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. You see, God had a plan to save His people. And perhaps if you're visiting, you're one of His chosen people. And as I speak these things, perhaps these things will be exciting to you and believable to you. You see, salvation is 100% from God. It says, but 
It says, but he saved us. Verse 5, he saved us. He is God the Father. God saved us. And we believe that the entire Godhead, all of heaven was involved in saving people. And as Christians, we believe that God is three in one. We believe in a Trinitarian God. One being in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what God did, three in one, is dive into this ocean of sin and rescued our bodies and rescued us out of there and brought them with us into heaven with Him. How do you do this? Well, verse 4 says, God the Father sent His Son. He says, but when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, let's talk about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, God Himself, God's own Son was sent to earth. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross to ransom us, to buy us back, to pay the price of, for sinners, and He rose to life again. He's alive, visitors. He's alive. And the Bible says in verse 5, He saved us, not by works which we did in righteousness. Meaning, can a dead person take one stroke to the shore? No. We're just floating and sinking to the bottom. Not by our own efforts, not by our own good works, but according to His mercy, according to His lavish, rich mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Not only did God the Father send His Son, the second member of the Trinity, to die for sinners and to rise for sinners, He sent the Spirit of God, God's third member of the Godhead, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to regenerate us, to renew us. Pastor Victor preached several weeks ago that we're a new creation in Christ. We're made brand new and improved. Regenerated, meaning we're spiritually dead, but He gave us rebirth. That's when, when you hear things, are you a born-again Christian? That's what they're asking. Has God the Spirit indwelt you and made you a brand new person? Born again. Spiritual rebirth. This is the work of God. 100% work of God. Can a dead man believe anything? No. Can a blind man see anything? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once blind, but now I see. Verse 7 says this, so that having been justified by His grace, faith, justification comes by faith or believing. Being born again, being renewed, being regenerated, we have minds to be able to think and to believe now and to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, being born again gives us the ability to believe. Salvation is 100% from God. And once we have new minds, new eyeballs, new living bodies, we're able to believe now. And we're, then we be, we're justified by His grace. What does it mean, justified, guests? That means this, we're declared innocent in the heavenly courtroom. That means that we're declared innocent just if I, justified, never sinned. Just if I have lived a perfect life. 
God treats us justified. I have lived Jesus's perfect life. That's what it means to be justified, declared innocent. Let me read you this portion out of 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. This is just amazing. Amazing. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, if you were taking notes. This is something he, Paul basically repeats what he talks about in Titus, but in, in such vivid terms. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. In no unclear terms, the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. There's a lot of deception out there. There's a lot of false teachings out there as we've talked about in the past. Neither the sexually immoral. This is someone who swings and does other things and, and has multiple partners. Nor idolaters, this is someone who worships false gods as idols. Nor adulterers, these are people who have inappropriate relationships with people outside their marriage. Nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. The effeminate talks about the passive member in the male homosexual act. Nor homosexuals, this is the active member in the male homosexual act. Nor thieves, nor the greedy nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these, none of us. And quite honestly, if we look at our own selves, as I look at this own list for my own self, either physically or in my heart, I've violated many of these things. And if you're honest with yourselves, you've at least violated one of them. At least in heart. That's what Paul says. Remember where you came from, church. Now let's get to the good news. All right? We're good news people. We don't want to ever stay in the bad news. All right? We're good news. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. Remember where you came from. But you were washed by the Spirit. But you were sanctified by the Spirit. But you are justified, declared innocent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. There it is. But you, but God appeared. Going back to Titus here, chapter 3, verse 7. What were we saved into? We were saved out of eternal judgment because those who do not inherit the kingdom of God will experience God's wrath forever in hell. But not only that, we're saved out of that pit. We're saved out of the Pacific Ocean of sin by God himself. Obviously, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit were involved to save you and me, Christians. But we're not living in the back house of heaven. We're not living in the servants' quarters of heaven. We're not living in the slums of heaven. Where are we living? Verse 7 says this, we will become heirs, heirs, according to the hope of eternal life. We are heirs. That means that we have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. And what is that inheritance? Well, 1 Corinthians 6 says, we would inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means that we're made citizens of heaven. We're made citizens of heavens. 
And what does that mean? Turn with me to John 17. It's, we're going to finish here shortly. Real, out of John 17, we all need to see this. John 17, write this down in your notes. We need to imagine heaven more clearly. We all, as we're aging, as we're believing we're exiles, we need to be more excited about our home. We need to be more excited about our new kingdom that we're a part of. We're, 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 or we are there right now, but practically and fully realize we're not there yet, right? We understand that. John 17, this is what the inheritance or the citizenship of heaven looks like. John 17, I'm going to go from verse 20 down here. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the apostles or the disciples, but for those who believe in me through their word. That's all of us. We believe and because of the work of the disciples and the apostles. Verse 21, here comes the inheritance. That they may be, all be one. The church were called to be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. What does inheritance mean? That means we get to be unified with God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're part of this Trinitarian family. We get to be in the in-group. The angels are outside the house. We're in the house with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're one with them. So that the world may believe that you sent me. We need to be unified so that the world sees this Trinitarian unity in us. Verse 22, what else does inheritance bring? The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one just as we are one. We, as we talked about before, will be glorified. The same Christ-like glory we will receive. We're not going to be Jesus. Jesus is God, but we'll be like him, glorified. Let's keep going. Verse 23. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. And here's another portion of our inheritance. And love them even as you have loved me. What is that saying? Jesus is praying to the Father right here in John 17. and says, Father, love them with the same quality of love that you have for me. Don't treat them like red-headed stepchildren. Treat them like you treat your own children. We've been adopted into God's family, and Christ is saying, Father, love them as much as you love me, your natural son. Isn't that amazing? Verse 24, our inheritance. Father, he's praying, the Lord is, the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is praying, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, there's more language of how God is the one who's given us to Christ to be with me where I am, so they may see my glory where you have, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. You see, this is a personal salvation. We get to be with Christ forever. Jesus Christ wants to be with us forever. I'm going to stop right there. You could keep reading two more verses. There's a little bit more, but we get to be one with God. We get to be glorified with Christ. We get to be loved as the Son is loved, and we get to be with Christ forever. That's what it means to be an inheritor, an heir, a citizen of heaven. Therefore, final application is this. Since that's true, and if I, I encourage you to think about these things, meditate on these things as you leave this place and throughout the week, we don't get consumed of this things of this life. 
We can't get consumed. We're not home yet. Our home is with God. Christians in the United States, I think we've gone, got sleepy here a little bit. If you were to talk to the Christians and our Palestinian Christians or Christians in the Middle East, I don't think they consider that home. We need to have the mind of an exile. We need to have a healthy detachment from the things of this world. We have to let go. Let go. We have, we have a better home. We have a better kingdom. We have a better king sitting on a throne right now. Nations and governments may come and go. Who knows if the United States is existing in the end times. As a secular culture gets worse, we may lose the culture, but we don't lose our peace. We, won't, we don't need to lose our peace because we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Church, let me read you a definition of an exile. The condition of someone being sent or kept away from their own country, village, especially for political reasons. Israel was exiled because of their sin. They sinned against God. They worshipped idols and they they sinned against God and they're sent out of the promised land and many returned back to the promised land. Man was exiled because of sin too. We were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, out of the presence of God because of sin. And what's amazing is that God did everything to bring us back to be with him face to face. Isn't that amazing? So just remember our citizenship is in heaven. That will help put everything else in perspective. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that even though we were dead spiritually, you made us alive. Although we were blind, you gave us eyes to see. Thank you that even in our lostness, you found us and placed us into your home. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this Trinitarian salvation that's so clear out of Titus chapter 3. Thank you for this Trinitarian citizenship you give us with, a, with you and, and us, Lord. Clearly, Lord, out of John 17. Father, we repent of our lack of appreciation for the gospel. Forgive us for holding on to this world too tightly, living for this world. Thank you, Lord, that our home is with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.